<clears throat> Here we go. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, really. What are you doing? Stop. Take a moment and think about it. What are you doing? Since you're listening to these words and not reading them, you have the benefit of my tone and you know, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you are being honest with yourself or in denial, you know that I'm not really asking, what are you doing? I'm asking, why are you doing what you're doing? Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the point? What is the purpose? What is your purpose? I'll ask again, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Have you stopped to ask yourself that question? If you have, can you answer the question? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you getting on that plane, boarding a train, hopping on that boat? But you think I'm just talking about travel. Why are you working that job? Why are you reading that book? Why are you listening to my voice right now? What are you doing right now and why are you doing it? Why? What are you doing? No, really, pause, think. What are you doing? Welcome back to all of you great members of the J Luck Club. Presented as always by Honey Roasted T-Shirts. Not sure if you're a member of the club? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, then you most certainly are a member in good standing. Don't forget to check out HoneyRoastedT-Shirts.com for pictures, extras, and show notes. And don't forget to drop me a line, send me a message, post a comment. I'm still Jay and still grateful to have you with me as I remember and share some memories of a trip I took 20 years ago, using emails, journal entries, and a shaky memory to reconstruct the happenings of those days on the road. In our last episode, my adventure had begun in earnest as I crossed overland from Thailand into Cambodia after a harrowing yet thrilling ride in the back of a pickup truck. I spent an unbelievable few days uh, seeing the magnificent and mind-blowing temples of Angkor, when we last left off, the seven of us who had explored Siem Rip together were going our separate ways. I was heading south to Phnom Penh to participate in a volunteer work camp at a children's home. And, well, I'll take you now to an internet cafe in Phnom Penh. Date, Friday, August 25th, 2000. From Jay Schneider. Subject, still in Cambodia, but not for long.
Another installment in my continuing Cambodian adventures. Once again, if you're not a native English speaker, I'm sorry. If you're not interested, too bad. And if you're not sure who I am, then perhaps you shouldn't be reading this. After a teary-eyed goodbye, rather silly because the girls were asleep and the Scottish couple were in another room, so I was really the only one awake to say goodbye to, I parted with my Angkor travel buddies and set off alone for Phnom Penh. Okay, the British couple was with me, so that whole setting off alone thing was a bit bunk. We decided to take the boat, and while the other chose to further abuse themselves with another pickup truck ride. The boat trip was nice, though I highly recommend not falling asleep without sun protection on your super white legs, which then become purple, with a capital P for pain, for about a week. I was unexpectedly greeted at the dock by a man holding a sign with my name on it and identifying himself as his assistant to His Excellency Son Suber, not to be confused with one of his three drivers, which apparently is the Khmer word for bodyguard. Jumping to the present, I've just finished my three weeks of volunteering, and I am in a far better position to explain my setup. Things were a little vague in the description of the work camp. Son Suber is the son of Son San, former Prime Minister of Cambodia, and a major political bigwig. Son Suber, though not as politically great as his father, political smallwig, was vice president for a spell, but is now content to sit on the Constitutional Committee. He is also professor of archaeology and currently teaches at the university. A handful of years back, when the refugees started returning from Thailand, they were all promised land for their homes. Son Suber and his father, knowing this may not happen, privately purchased some land for the returning refugees. Only a few families took them up on their offer. Then, the United Nations told them about a large number of orphans living on the streets, and the father-son duo created the Peaceful Children's Home at Sreyam Peel. This is about 30 kilometers southeast of Phnom Penh. They also built some other centers in the country, but this is the one I worked at. Initially, the Sons founded the center entirely with the salary from Parliament, but this was not enough to cover the growing need. Several individuals and organizations from around the world have made donations, kitchen, a garage, clothing, money, etc., but the main ongoing support is from a French organization called, well, in English anyway, Act for Cambodia. This group gets sponsors for each child. Last year they built dormitories for the kids, and each year sends a group of French students to work in the summer. My organization, Volunteers for Peace, sends an international group of volunteers each summer as well. So what did I do? Well, played with the kids, talked with the kids, live, eat, breathe, yada yada with the kids, Taught Japanese classes and some English conversation, though I graciously left a majority of the English classes to the American elementary school teacher who came. I was quite happy not to teach English, actually. We worked the farm. We worked to build what would one day be a farm and garden so the center can be self-supporting. Currently, they receive aid from international food organizations. We, okay, it was just the Dutch guy, set up a solar refrigerator. We painted classrooms. We painted the dining room. We painted a storage room, which meant scrubbing the dirt, grime, and old paint off the walls which meant moving those 55-kilogram bags of rice, which meant disrupting the lives of the poor 15 to 20 mice happily living underneath the rice. We laughed as the mice whizzed past our feet and the dogs came in to chase them, knocking over the paint cans. We laughed as the poor geckos tried to climb up the wall, but since it had been recently scrubbed, it was too dusty to get a grip and they'd fall down, often on the French girl's head. I laughed as I realized somehow all the kids had taken all the paintbrushes and I was left with the all-important job of saying, Mr. Spot, the village kids laughed when Jean and I had to push-start a very old, very used motorcycle. Jean, a large man at the wheel, and me, a smaller man wearing flip-flops. We got it on the fifth try, and the kids cheered. We rode three on a moto to and from the nearest market, the from being the interesting part as we balance paint, lumber, and other supplies. 
We slipped in the mud in the final week, which reminded me it's still technically rainy season. I also learned that the mud can steal your flip-flops, but that doesn't really matter because barefoot in the mud is so, so cool. We did a lot. It was great. More stories to tell in the future, I'm sure. The kids? Incredible. There are 117 kids age 5 through 19. The center tries to support the kids throughout their education, and currently five are at a university in Thailand. The older kids help take care of the younger. They often teach extra lessons and make major decisions about the running of the center. As Son Subair explained, most Cambodians, after years of the Khmer Rouge and of the Vietnam occupation, are not used to self-determination and democracy. He hopes to teach the children how they can help themselves and in the future help Cambodia. The kids were very eager to practice English, and many wanted to learn Japanese. The classroom was full every day, with many students standing in the back. Never have I seen so many kids so motivated to learn. Even the youngest kids would often sit in the classrooms, reading a book or drawing pictures, seemingly happy just to be in an academic environment. I certainly have never seen such a demand for education in the U.S. or Japan. Unfortunately, the demand isn't being sufficiently met. School is only half day, so the teachers can work in the afternoons to support themselves. There are extra classes in private schools, but these cost money, and money is something most rural Cambodians don't have to spare. Anywho, I just left the center today, so I'm still a bit close to the situation, and my thoughts are kind of racing. Three weeks seemed far too short and went by too, too quickly. I wanted to stay and felt I could do a lot more. But even though it was short, I became very close with some of the kids, and I know I'll have to try to pass through again, at least to visit, if not to volunteer again. To tie this rambling, wandering email, it was an amazing three weeks and definitely unforgettable experience. So what now? Well, I'm in Phnom Penh for the night. I'm taking advantage of the big city to send out this email. That's why I'm hastily writing this. And then tomorrow, heading south to the beaches. My visa expires Monday, and though I considered extending it to travel around a bit to some places that other travelers have recommended, I realize that I don't think there's anything that's going to top what I've just seen and done. So I'm heading south to make my graceful departure. A lazy day to relax on the beach will be nice, but my main reason for going is to take the boat back towards Thailand, where I'll make arrangements to get to my next volunteer work camp. Destination, Nepal. If you haven't noticed already, or soon we'll pick up on it, my first few emails always seem to start off with an acknowledgement, or I guess almost an apology that I'm spamming the recipients. And if you pay close attention, you'll see I eventually get over this and develop a more confident attitude. These emails are a prize and a privilege, and you should be honored to receive them. Once, towards the end, when I started getting these emails longer and longer, I even scolded some people for commenting on how upset they were at how long it was to read. I also make references to my non-native English-speaking recipients, mostly you know, friends and colleagues from Japan. I, I make a comment that, oh, if you're not a native English speaker, this might be hard to understand, though, uh, admittedly, even if you're a native English speaker, they may be hard to understand. So in the last episode, in the last email, I had definitely achieved already what I'd wanted to in this trip. The adventure, the thrill of exploration and adventure and living life to the fullest. I definitely met that and set the right tone. But the next three weeks spending with those children was definitely a much deeper experience and also, honestly, something that really impacted the trip. Again, reminding me that just to have traveled and visited many countries would have been a great experience, but finding some way to really immerse myself in the people and and do something and have some purpose. It was really rewarding. 
So before I left Japan, I was very aware of how living in a country is completely different from just visiting and passing through. I didn't have plans to settle down in any location on my travels. I, but I did want to make sure I had the opportunity to make some kind of connection. So to facilitate that, I did sign up for two volunteer projects, one in Cambodia, the one I just completed, and the other in Nepal. And this would anchor my travel, so I wasn't totally drifting and wandering aimlessly. I figured the project themselves would give me some sense of purpose, meaning, and some opportunity to connect with the country, and also something to work towards. So I found an organization called Volunteers for Peace, and they had volunteer projects around the world and of different types, different times, different countries. So I looked for ones and locations and at times that would fit my plans and settled on Cambodia in August and Nepal in September. Spoiler alert, these volunteer projects were amazing, and I highly recommend it as a way to not only make a positive impact, but also to make a genuine and deep, meaningful connection with a place and its people. When going anywhere as a visitor, it's too easy to stay in the traveler's road, see the main sites, and all the interactions with locals are people whose job involves interacting with tourists. I had a great experience with Volunteers for Peace, and you can check out honeyroastedteachers.com for more info, but there are probably many programs out there uh, which may work for you. Side note, you can be sure when I told my mom that I was doing a volunteer project in Cambodia, when she asked with great concern what kind of project it was, without missing a beat, I responded, clearing landmines. Cambodia does not have the honor of the most landmine country. I believe Laos still has that title. Of course, landmines in Cambodia are still, to this day, an issue. And again, if you don't know much about the horrors of Southeast Asia and the, the challenges there, I highly recommend read a book. I'll list some of the ones I read on honeyroastedteachers.com. It's definitely something we should all be aware of. Educate yourself. So back to the volunteer project, I really had no idea what I was signing up for. When I showed up in Phnom Penh by boat, I arrived at the docks and was planning to find an internet cafe and figure out how to get in contact with some guy named H.E. Son Subert, which I later found out stood for His Excellency Son Subert. So you can imagine my surprise when I arrive at this chaotic port, there's someone holding a sign with my name on it. I was not expecting that. Also, when I signed up for this project, there was a description of the work camp, and it mentioned we would be building a basketball court. I was like, okay, sure, I'm up for anything. For me, it was about, I will help on whatever project you got going on, put me in the game, coach. I just want to be a part of it. Anyway, when all the volunteers arrived, there were three of us from the States and five from France, we learned that though a cement slab had already been poured, there were structural problems and cracks, so the basketball court plan was on hold. So we had to figure out to do something on the fly. So we all came up with activities we could do with the children and classes we could teach. So Cindy, the American school teacher, she volunteered to teach yoga. I offered to teach Japanese classes. Is that something I could do? And they also had a connection with Japan and some Japanese volunteers who would come through throughout the year. Some of the French girls said they would teach French classes. We also made plans to do some cleaning and painting of a kitchen and dining facilities as well as the classrooms. So we had a plan. We all felt pretty good of ourselves. We would, you know, rise to the occasion. When we actually arrived at the camp, there was already a group of French kids from the, the other French support organization, and they were finishing up a multi-week program of their own. When we arrived, we asked them about their project, and they showed us how they were planting crops and teaching the children how to tend to the fields and basically have the center become self-sustaining through farming. We also met Arjun from Holland, and he came to install a solar-powered refrigerator. After hearing about these thoughtful, well-planned, highly impactful initiatives by the others, 
One of the French students then asked, so what's your project? After a few moments of awkward silence, I chimed in, well, Cindy's going to teach yoga. But the truth is, it really was just our presence that was the point. It benefited the children that we were just there connecting with them and in their lives. But let's be honest, selfishly, it benefited all of us. I had a lot of conversations with Son Subert, and he explained that after the devastation of the Khmer Rouge and then the occupation of the Vietnamese and even the UN presence for years, that the population of Cambodia doesn't know democracy and self-determination. They, they need to learn it. In spite of the recent years of Cambodian self-rule, there was still a lot of corruption and violence, and it was really just a few years before that there was literally fighting on the streets of Phnom Penh as two rival political factions vied for power. Apart from teaching the best darn Japanese, French, and yoga classes we could, we spent our days with the children, playing, talking, laughing. We also went to the village and met the children, visited the schools, and spoke with the teachers there. Unfortunately, like many countries in the developing world, school is only half day because the teachers need to work other jobs in the afternoons to make money on which to survive. On the weekends, the volunteer group, we'd venture into Phnom Penh and explore the city and surroundings and, yeah, also check out the nightlife. I mean, yeah, spending time with the kids was great, but sometimes you want to do adult things. I was a little disappointed when we found Martini Disco. If you remember from the last episode, that had also been the name of the club we'd gone dancing in Siem Reap. But I found the Martini Disco in Phnom Penh a very different experience. Whereas before, it was filled with locals only. This was clearly an expat establishment with an estimated ratio of seven prostitutes for every two older white European males. Certainly one of the harsh realities of some of these amazing countries. But we did find plenty more suitable places to enjoy nightlife and dance till dawn. Apart from the city, I took a motorcycle to monuments to the killing fields, stacks of skulls and bones, and you can see the excavated graves of millions who were killed by Pol Pot regime. I also visited Tolslang Prison, a former high school which became a prison under the Khmer Rouge, complete with photographs of the imprisoned and the tortured. Also, if you don't know much about the history of Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge, I know I'm repeating this for, I don't know, the how many of the time, please go read a book or two. It is a history that many people have forgotten or never known, and it should be a reminder of what human evil is capable of, especially when unchecked. Though I am speaking of the horrors of Cambodia specifically, it should remind us there are other cases of genocide and mass extermination around the world throughout history that do not get any attention. Anyway, I listed some of the books that I read years ago at honeyroastedteachers.com. Uh, you may want to check those books out. On a more positive note, Cambodia, the land of smiles, is an amazing country, and I highly recommend a visit. Uh, the people are friendly, the country is beautiful, and of course, the temples of Angkor are incredible. I really only saw a few parts of the country in my month there, but for me, it was spending three weeks with those children that will forever keep Cambodia in my heart. For more information on a peaceful children's home, please check out honeyroastedteachers.com. I mentioned in my first episode about the purpose of travel. And as important as that sentiment is, I honestly thought I'd mention it at the beginning as a theme, and then I'd move on. But as I reread my journal entries from the time during my volunteer work camp, I realized it was not something I could escape. During my time in the volunteer camp, there was a point where there became a bit of a conflict among the group. And this came to a head midway through our time. And really, it came down to our purpose in being there. Or more importantly, each of us had different reasons or different purposes in coming to Cambodia. Different goals, different objectives, 
and intentions for our time there. Without a doubt, we were all aligned in that we were there to support the children's home, do our project, and make a positive impact. But more than that, we all had our own, sometimes differing, larger goals and reasons for being there. We had different purposes. I cannot claim to know anyone's purpose but my own, so I can only speak to my purpose. But I will let you know briefly about the others in my group, and it may give some insight as to the source of the conflict. I'm going to read from my journal. You'll hear the pages. Cindy, American elementary school teacher, yoga teacher. Ed, 55-year-old Vietnam vet, self-proclaimed crazy American, and in Jean's words, not boring. Jean, 20-year-old French student, second year at the center. Raphael, Jean's friend, came with him this year. Olivia Valentine Nadine, French students. Arjun, Dutch engineer, lots of work camp experience. He installed and brought a solar refrigerator. Floor, Act for Cambodia volunteer, four months there. Her Khmer is very good. Just a quick note, Arjun, I'm not going to include him in this because he was there independently. He clearly had a purpose. He was solid. Floor was also a part of another project, but she was on my list, so I read her name. The tensions began when often in the afternoons, the French girls would go for bike rides and explore the surrounding areas. Ed, who was the leader of our group, became quite upset thinking the girls were not committed to being at the camp and working with the children, and they were more interested in playing around and relaxing, like it was a vacation. One could chalk this up to age difference, difference in work ethic, or some other factor, but actually I think it very much goes back to the fact that we all had our own reasons for being here. And to be clear, none of these reasons were wrong. They were just different. So Ed was a Vietnam veteran. At 17 years of age, he enlisted in the army and was sent to Vietnam. But of course, I don't mean literally Vietnam, as U.S. forces were in Cambodia for years. Yes, before Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, there was plenty of fighting, bombing, and horrific war in Cambodia. So Ed's return to Cambodia was important for his own healing and his own journey. Ed was also a very hard worker, so he viewed the camp as his primary responsibility. Also, he was designated as our team leader. The French students, however, though also committed to volunteering and eager to make a positive impact, they were also excited to learn about the country, have incredible experiences, and while the volunteer project was important, it was really a vehicle which allowed them to have these amazing experiences, which they wanted beyond the camp. I mentioned Ed and the students, as opposed to Cindy and some of the others, only because they seemed to have the most differing views and attitudes. Once we had a large discussion about it, yes, we all discussed our own purpose and why we were here and what we were trying to achieve, we were able to move forward and worked very well together. As for me, there were two occasions where I did have to stop for a moment and think about my choices in activity and see if they were aligned with my purpose. And it had nothing to do with our weekend trips to the capital to see the sights, dance the night away in bars, and play with firearms. I was okay with that. During our time, Son Subair had arranged for us to be able to go visit Angkor Wat and the surrounding temples. We had this really cool letter that we were able to flash around and get in through all the entrances. It was really cool. Since I had already gone, I had struggled a bit with my decision to return. I felt a bit indulgent. In the end, though, I did decide to go with the group. And in the end, it was an excellent decision. 
Even though I was visiting most of the same temples that I had seen before, I found myself discovering new things. I was also able to focus on different areas since I had already experienced the initial shock and awe of the place, though I'll admit the awe never left me. Many people will go visit Angkor Wat for three days. I was actually able to spend six days. Fun fact, five years later I went again for another three days. I feel very fortunate. Additionally, it gave me a chance to connect with the others outside of the camp, and that too was enriching. Finally, being away from the kids and the Children's Peaceful Center for a few days, it made for quite the homecoming when we did eventually return. It truly felt like we were coming home, and that experience was priceless. The other moment was on my last full day at the Peaceful Children's Home. Often, children from the village would come to visit and sit in our classes. On this day, some of the kids wanted to show me where they lived. We walked to their homes, met their families, and crowds of followers kept growing and growing. Everyone was smiling, and they were showing me their homes and their land, and I was having a really great time. Then one of the families generously invited me to have lunch with them. Under other circumstances, I would have loved to accept their hospitality. But in this moment, I realized this was my last full day with the children with whom I'd lived for three weeks, and I felt strongly that I should be with them. Taking a stroll through the village and meeting the families for an hour or so was one thing, but missing out on an entire afternoon is not how I wanted to spend my time. The villagers loaded up a wagon full of fruit and sugar cane, and we pulled it back to the children's home, where I spent as many of the next 24 precious hours soaking up my time with the kids. Anyways, sometimes it's good to do a gut check and really consider if your actions and choices are aligned with your goals. It's good to stop and ask yourself, what are you doing and why? Oh, now I get that whole intro thing. It makes sense now. I'm going to end this episode with two stories, actually. First is a coconut story. So I love fresh coconut. And it's best when the machete cuts it open, you drink the milk, and then cut it again and eat the flesh inside. So the kids often took us on walks through the village, and these walks would often end with us eating fresh sugar cane and coconuts. Sometimes the generous villagers would give us coconuts to take back with us to the children's center. However, on one of our many trips to the Koki market to get paint and supplies, one of the French volunteers, Olivia, she decided to buy a coconut from a woman. She took a sip and then had a kind of a bad look on her face. She took another sip and then she waved me and another girl over. I'm not going to do a French accent, by the way. She says, guys, this is horrible. Can you guys help me finish it? I don't want to offend this woman. So I took a sip and she was right. It was horrible. But we, we didn't want to be rude. So we struggled for smiles as we drank down the milk and equally ate up the distasteful meat inside. The woman who had sold us the coconut saw the three of us sharing and, bless her heart, generously gave us another coconut for free. So, well, we had double the amount of yucky coconut. And finally, when at the Children's Center, the meals we would eat in sort of an outdoor kitchen and dining area. Usually, we were eating dinner. It was still light out, but one night, we had a special event and dance, and so dinner was later than usual, and it was dark. So we turned on the lights, which normally wasn't needed. Of course, these lights attracted flies, and the flies kept finding their way into our soup. It became quite the task to pick out all the flies out of our soup, which we did while trying to maintain conversation. So finally, we decided the best way to solve the problem would be to turn out the light and eat in the dark. On the surface, we all said that this would solve the problem because without the light, the flies would not come. I think if we're being perfectly honest, we knew 
that it was because without the light, we just simply wouldn't see the flies in our soup and could finish our meals in blissful ignorance. For some pictures of those amazing smiles, I don't have any of me eating bad coconuts or flies, head on over to honeyroastedtshirts.com. Once again, a big thanks to Honey Roasted T-Shirts. They don't sell T-Shirts, but if they did, you can be sure they'd be Honey Roasted. Go check it out for pictures, updates, show notes, and more. Are you a member of the J-Luck Club? Would you like to be? If so, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Visit the aforementioned honeyroastedtshirts.com to check out more. Next time, I head to the southern beaches of Cambodia with plans to return to Thailand by boat. I still have a couple of weeks until I need to be in Nepal, so I head to what felt like my second home, Bangkok. If you listen to this podcast, or if you've visited the blog or read the emails, or maybe if you've heard me tell that story about that time in Sumatra when I wrote a poem about chicken fried rice, well, you just might be a member of the J-Luck Club. Thank you for staying tuned to Journal Extras. This is purely optional. Just a few sentences from pages of my journal. You will even hear me turning the pages. But no stress, no pressure. None of this will be on the exam. August 8th. Taught Japanese yesterday and today. 10 students yesterday, 20 plus students today. Not so bad. I know to some students it's just fun and it's only three weeks, but I'd like to have some achievable goals. There's a plan to go to Angkor Wat with the volunteers. I want to go, partly to say Angkor, and partly to perhaps get to know the others better, but I wonder if it's the best thing to do. We took a bike ride after lunch. Well, Jean and I went on a moto. But the excursion wasn't without exercise. The moto often died, and the kickstart wouldn't work. So we had to push start, meaning I was push starting it, running in my flip-flops. The whole ordeal was very entertaining. The village kids laughed when we failed and cheered our success. Beware of the mud stealing your flip-flops. One step, it's on your foot. The next second, it's gone. This wasn't in my journal, but it's a memory I have. I didn't guess I didn't document it anywhere, but it's it's burned into my head. So very common meal option at some of the stalls around the temples would be uh, a baguette of bread. Uh, again, French history of the French colonial days in the region, and maybe some tea. And often the options were to have the bread with butter or, for a little bit extra, bread with jam. So... One morning, and we're with the uh, French students. We're all sitting around after saying, I believe it was Bayon, 
and we decided to get a little something at a little stall. We're sitting at some plastic chairs and tables. I ordered the baguette with jam and tea, and we're all sitting around eating and enjoying, and then I look at my meal, and what seems extremely obvious to me, I belt out, tea, a drink with jam and bread. I didn't get the reaction I was hoping for from the audience, but maybe some of you out there will appreciate that. Thank you very much, Sound of Music. August 25th, last day. Woke up early, take pictures, walk around. Weird, I didn't think I'd be so attached. Just last week, I felt I hardly had time to settle in. Breakfast, clean up, disaster in the classroom. Paint is everywhere it shouldn't be. Pack. Hang out with the kids as they paint Angkor Wat and scenes of Cambodia on the walls of the classroom. That's a great way to leave. The kids are doing it on their own. And wow, that's a talented kid. Wish I could see when it's finished. Finally, the van comes. Goodbye to the kids. Waves. They chase after us. See you again. Yucky Coconut.